the number one selling product of its kind with over 20 years of research and innovation. Botox Cosmetic, Autobotulinum Toxin A, is a prescription medicine used to temporarily make moderate to severe frown lines, crow's feet, and forehead lines look better in adults. Effects of Botox Cosmetic may spread hours to weeks after injection, causing serious symptoms. Alert your doctor right away as difficulty swallowing, speaking, breathing, eye problems, or muscle weakness may be a sign of a life-threatening condition. Patients with these conditions before injection are at highest risk. Don't receive Botox Cosmetic if you have a skin infection. Side effects may include allergic reactions, injection site pain, headache, eyebrow and eyelid drooping, and eyelid swelling. Allergic reactions can include rash, welts, asthma symptoms, and dizziness. Tell your doctor about medical history, muscle or nerve conditions including ALS or Lou Gehrig's disease, myasthenia gravis, or Lambert-Eaton syndrome and medications, including botulinum toxins, as these may increase the risk of serious side effects. For full safety information, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. See for yourself at BotoxCosmetic.com. All right, shall we get into it? Let's go. Shall we get into it? Shall we get into it? Oh, no. Yeah, Anna's Anna's got a British accent now. I don't. I don't. You do. Welcome to Don't Mock My Accent, the show where we work through our lives as expats and everything in between, one day at a time. This podcast is designed by expats for expats. Our goal is to build a community for people living away from their home country, a place they can come to for advice, support, and above all else, a home away from home. A lot of laughs and shenanigans to be expected. In this episode, we speak to a very dear friend of ours, Cal Ryan, about his journey from working at live-in pubs in London to tour guiding all throughout Europe and Southeast Asia. Now, as he celebrates his one-year anniversary of being back in Australia, he shares with us all of his advice about how to make the most of your time abroad. We have the fantastic Callum Ryan joining us this week on the podcast. Hello, thanks for coming you. and speaking to us and like doing the time zones because you're obviously in Australia at the moment. So thank you for, uh, for making it work. <laughs> We've made it. No, no worries. I know how crazy it is trying to get the time zone calls happening quite often. I think um, when I was reaching out to my friends and family, it would be when I'm walking home absolutely plastered and people would answer and be like, oh, you're drunk, aren't you? And I'm like, no. And they're like, well, I'm in the middle of a meeting and you do this every week. Why? And I'm like, I just want to talk. Um, and so, yeah, it never really went down too well, but I know, I know the struggles of trying to reach across time zones. Yeah, I think, that, that. I think everyone can relate to that. That's me to a T. And also when people try and reach out to me when I'm absolutely plastered and then I'm like, well, you've done it now. So here we go. My question to you, though, is how, did you, how do you work out what time it is in Australia? I think I used to do like minus three hours opposite side of the day. Is, it was my little algorithm. I love that you did that. I use, a, I use a website called Time and Date. And I do an international meeting planner because that's what I do for work. Yeah. <laughs> so I always like pull that up just to like double check. Otherwise, it's literally just like world maps. <laughs> like world maps. I li- what do I do? It depends it's sometimes because daylight savings in London because obviously Queensland doesn't have daylight savings. So I always have to remember which side of the, the time we're on. And then usually I'll check like the world clock on my phone <laughs> and, I'll, and I'll just subtract from the world clock and be like, okay, yeah, that works. But honestly, I think I need to get a date and time app. Time and date.com. Honestly, it's my lifeline. <laughs> Cheeky plug. Lifeline. Cheeky, Cheeky plug. plug. Not sponsored. <laughs> I wish. Um, perfect. So, Cal, tell us a little bit about why you moved overseas in your journey leaving Australia all those years ago. Um, I think my journey probably started back when the three of us were sitting there, early days, entertainment, um, and, oh, God, those were the days, entertainment classes, very good for nothing, besides making <laughs> friends. Um, but I remember them telling us, yeah, yeah, exactly. I remember them telling us um, the opportunities available to go and work overseas when they were talking about go and work on a Disney cruise ship, um, go and work in America doing X, Y, Z, work in European festivals, go explore the world and that was something that was pretty appetizing to me at the time I worked for Nova as well and 
it was a very fun place to be. And I met a lot of people in different social backgrounds, different ages. And I think the one recurring theme that people kept mentioning to me was, sounds like you got a good thing going in terms of a fun degree and a cool job. My biggest regret when I was your age was not making the most of my life and going out and traveling and seeing the world. So I think that was something that was embedded in my mind from quite a young age. Um, and I was quite fortunate to do a bit of traveling throughout uni, both with friends and family. Um, and then coming up towards the end of uni, I think I had sort of already made the decision that I needed to go and leave, leave the nest and try and see the rest of the world, understand a little bit more. And I think because I've been so interested in history and culture um, and excitement and people and language, all that sort of stuff, I just felt like Brisbane started feeling smaller and smaller um, as the finished state of uni was coming up. And I'm like, I need to do it. I just need to book a ticket. And after talking about it for so long, my older sister sat me down one day and she's like, I know you got paid today, so you're going to book a ticket right now. And I'm like, all right, let's do yes. this. Yes, so, love that. Uh, big list, went over and decided um, it, it could have been three months, it could have been two years, but I needed to go and make the most of this opportunity I had between a full-time career without any anchors um, and finishing uni. So, so there, there it was and there I went. And what did you, what were you doing in the UK? Like what? Did you have a plan when you moved over or was it just more like, I'm just going to like see how it goes and just find a job when you get there? Like, what were you doing? Tell us. It was a bit of a mixed realm of things at the start. I didn't really have any idea what I wanted to do. I just knew I wanted to go. Um, so I ended up um, lining up a job working with Stoke Travel, um, just going over and being one of the lords, um, or that's their word for managers, um, going and working in festivals like Oktoberfest, La Tomatina, running the bulls, all that sort of stuff. Um, but I did have, that was sort of like a seasonal job. So between that, um, I had a few bits and pieces lined up. So I got over, did three weeks of just backpacking by myself throughout the UK um, and then did a top deck tour. And I think the idea of that was just to get a test taster of like how, how rapidly, I guess, things could change. So moving around in buses very quickly and changing currency, then food, then language and working out the basis of European travel. Because it's a very weird thing. It's a very weird thing to try and explain to people who haven't done it before. Um, so I think that sort of gave me a good test taster of what to expect, what I would love, what I wouldn't. Um, ended up um, doing, uh, working with Stoke Travel for a little bit and then going back to London in between just doing some live-in pub jobs um, just because it was really affordable rent. Um, Great way to make friends and great way to just make quick, easy cash. Not that they paid well, but it was just fun. And it was, it was simpler than trying to find a locked in job. So yeah, so it was a bit of that. It was just a mix of traveling and then bar work, festival work, etc. Yeah. So um, in terms of traveling before settling in London for a little bit, could yeah. you sort of tell us a little bit more about that? Because I know that a lot of people who move to London want to do the travel thing first when they first get here. And I always know I get questions as simple as like, where do you leave your luggage? Like, what do you do? How do you find it? So how did you sort of scope that out and work that out between traveling and living in London? Um, at the start, I think I definitely overpacked as we, as we do. You pack all the dumb little things you think you'll need, but you never do. Like, we said this in our last episode, yes. <laughs> Honestly, pack uh, light, you don't need it. Yeah, shampoo strips. When the fuck was I going to need that? I just buy a bottle, mate. Um, a little hang-up <laughs> clothesline. Um, in my day pack, I had like a spare T-shirt and like everything. I just went, I was really, I, I really overkilled it there. Um, but in terms of scoping it out, I think doing a tour was probably the best thing for someone who hadn't ever been there before and needed a good test taster. I think it's really good to have someone who knows what they're doing lead you through as well because I, I think people do have a bit of a tendency to be a bit shy otherwise if they're travelling by themselves when they first arrive. You yeah. rock up and if you're not necessarily the most confident person, you'll go down to a bar and then you'll just sit and you'll watch and you'll hope that someone will talk to you. So I think having a, a tour guide or a tour company to walk you through at least gives you the opportunity to have 25 other people in the exact same scenario with you there to sit silently. I guess someone's going to crack first. So having a tour guide to, to have the little icebreakers, et cetera, I think was a really good idea. Um, otherwise, I think it could have been a bit of a nerve wracking experience. People do find their feet, but if you want to make the most of the limited time you do have to travel, um, I think that's the best way to do it. In terms of luggage and stuff, I think... <sighs> Again, well overpacked, and I wish that someone had told me to leave my winter stuff at home at that stage. Well, people did. I just didn't listen. 
Um, yeah, because yeah, and that's why we've got this podcast because we've done yeah. it and we're telling you right now, don't do it. <laughs> Just and don't think, pack that much crap. You don't need it. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I guess not everyone has a contact over there, but, um, but when you arrive in the UK, if you do, 100% go and drop off as much shit as you can over in the UK um, and then, then leave, go and travel Europe, go and, um, go and pack light, come back to your winter stuff if you need to, come back to your business stuff if that's what you need to do. Um, but I think that's literally to- what I did as well. Like I was fortunate to have a family friend in London and I was able to just like leave this like 30 kilo suitcase like with her. And I was like, just fucking take it. And then I'm just like, went nice. away. And I was like, see ya. <laughs> I'll come back for it in, four, in like four weeks. You're, you're so lucky to have that. Cause I remember my, the, the pain of my existence at that time was half of my suitcase was a pair of Timberlands, which I wasn't going to need for another seven months until it started snowing. And then also I, a Canadian goose jacket of sorts, which again, wasn't going to need for so long. The Timberland boots, every time I had a travel day, I ended up having to wear those just because it was so much easier that I could squish it into my bag. Um, And then um, the jacket, it did end up coming in handy as a pillow anytime I stayed in a tent or in a couch. Um, So that sort of had a use, but other than that, it was just like, God damn it. I wish I had somewhere to leave all this stuff. Yeah. I know what you mean. Um, I'm, I'm sort of like interested as well about the live in pub experience because a lot of our so far listeners are from Australia and we speak about moving to somewhere like the UK where live in pub experiences are so popular for people from Australia and New Zealand and everyone to, to come and do. So how did you get into it? How, like, yeah, where did you sort of start to be able to, to do that? Yeah. Um, the journey for me was when I was guiding with Stoke. Um, I had this really cool passenger named Dan. He was a chef at a live-in pub job uh, for the Samuel Smith Breweries. Um, if you haven't been to those before, they're probably some of the most affordable pints you'll find around. They've got their brewery up in Tadcaster. Um, but yeah, around London, you can get like a £3.40 pint um, of lager, which is pretty decent. The maximum wow. price is yeah. 90 So yeah, I know bargain hunting. Um, Our local then, pub around the corner from my office was the Sam Smith pub. So it was always like the cheapest place to go drinking around Soho. Like, they're good or reliable. I think the only thing I struggled with about that was just their old men beer bars. So I agree. Talking, no TV, no Wi-Fi, no music. And as someone who'd come from working in radio, sometimes I wanted to smash my head against the brick wall. But at the same time, it was a really cool opportunity. So Dan had told me about, um, about these pubs and how he was living in central London. Um, and I was like, you know, I do want to give this a go. I think bartending could be a really fun thing. And I think the biggest thing for me at this stage was after working so many jobs through uni where your mind's always attached to that job. I thought, God damn, it would be nice just for once to have a job where I can leave work at work. And when I walk away that day, I don't have to sit there thinking, damn, did I do that? Did I do that? Should I have done this? I think it was just good that that was where I was at. So um it in my mind at this stage i was like i know the pay is really crap when i think it was like seven pound five an hour but at the same time the pubs that i was applying for were right on oxford street so i ended up working um at two different pubs which were halfway between tottenham court road uh station and oxford circus station so prime location mm-hmm, um, i was only paying 90 pound a month rent which is unheard of and so i thought even if it's shit wages um, I'll be saving all of that money in rent. And even if I just have to work like an extra 10 hours a week, I can make this work. Um, so that was the method behind the madness. It was a lot of fun too. Like you met some, you get some pretty cool clientele. You share rooms with, um, with people, you make some good friends. Um, most of the people I lived with were Romanian too. So I remember this getting to learn how to cook, to eat, um, to speak, to dress like Romanian people, so much fun. Um, and then British pub owners as well. So I feel like that was really good in terms of a cultural exchange. It might not have been standing on top of bars, pouring Jager bombs into people's mouths, um, but it was certainly a really unique experience, which I really liked anyway. Yeah, I remember when uh, our other friend Maddie and I travelled to Europe and we came and visited you that one night when you were working. You remember that? And you had to like keep working and then you'd sit down and speak with us and then you'd go up and serve someone else and then sit down and I'm like, got to do what you got to do in London. <laughs> and I think the opportunity for that was phenomenal too. Like, that location for that price, I think oh, it's a really good starting Unreal. Point. Completely yeah. unheard of, honestly. Like, unreal, Cal. Yeah, so, so good. Um, so I guess moving on, 
you know, with the next question that we have, I remember, I'm just going to transition this very smoothly. Go on. I remember being at work one day and I got a call from you. I don't know if you remember this, but you called me and you were in a bit of a pickle because I think at this point you were just, you know, spent all your pounds. (laughs) You were like, Anna, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. And I'm like, Callum, we're going to turn this around for you. What you're going to do, because obviously I was working in travel at this point, and I think you had thought of it and applied, but I remember this experience in my mind. And I was like, you're going to go and apply to be a Kentucky tour guide, bus about tour guide, top deck. I'm like, you will fucking smash that. You would be so fucking good at that. You need to do it. And I can't remember if you already had an interview or something at that point. I don't remember. But I guess, you know, from that point, watching you from that conversation of, you were just like, what am I doing to getting that job and literally living your best life? How was that transition? And like, how, you know, how did you go from living and working in the UK towards being a boss about tour guide, basically Southeast Asia in the end? Yeah, it was a massive journey. Um, I remember that when I called you, that was, that was probably the low point of my travel. And I think everyone does hit that point. Um, the idea of me working in the pubs and doing all that, the extra, like the 60, 70 hour weeks was to save as much money as I possibly could, but because I only got one social day a week then, I'd absolutely go and write off a Saturday night. I'd rock up at, um, at a party at 11 o'clock. I'd be like, all right, I've got to play serious catch-ups, got involved in the London party scene, which we all know can be expensive. Um, and basically I had these travel plans to go away with, and then I went away with uh, significantly less funds than I planned on. Um, so the original plan was to fly over to like Cyprus or so, and then work my way along the Southern coast of all, all along Europe, um, which I thought would have been really cool. Turned out that wasn't really feasible with the budget I had. So flew over to Turkey, went through Turkey for a while, then Albania, Macedonia, Italy, and then, uh, sorry, made my way over to Italy. And I remember at this stage, I, I was getting to a bit of a pickle. I think I had about a hundred pounds left to my name. I had maybe 400 Australian dollars, um, which I thought at least that's like what half or a third of a flight home. So oh, I've got to leave that there. And at this stage I was like, look, I can either try and find a workaway or something and try and make this work or I can go back to the UK and just slum it around doing really shitty night jobs again. and like and. Ugh. And I just wasn't really wanting to go back to the UK and call it quits, but I wasn't, I couldn't afford to go back to Australia either, but I didn't want to go back. Um, so I think I called you when I was just in this mad in-between place of just, I don't know what to do. Anna, I'm eating one packet of two minutes, no, two minute noodles a day. Cause that's literally all I can afford. Um, cause I don't know if I've got enough money to get back to London at this stage. Um, and then, yeah, couldn't, I couldn't really reach out to any friends or family for money because a lot of friends I've spoken to in a while um fam whole nother situation but basically i was like all right so here's here's the next step either i apply for to be a tour guide and i get the job and i go back and i do what it takes to get to that spot or if i apply and i don't get it that's it i had a good run and go home so i remember calling you probably a little bit drunk probably a little bit demo at that stage just being like you know what honestly i don't know what to do um, yeah but i think it's so good that you speak about it because I think so many people were, have been in that position, Callum, you know what yeah. I mean? Like yeah. so, so many people. And I think, you know, I really wanted to touch on it because like, if you get yourself in that position, you're not alone and it will work itself out. So yeah, For continue. Sure. And it's, it's a shitty place to be and there's no sugarcoating that whatsoever. Like, um, yeah, I, I was mad depressed at that time. I, um, I was yeah, my, my, at home, my family was going through a divorce period. Um, my friends, um, I'd hear from every now and then, but you know what it's like. It's, they start living their life once you're gone and you try and reach out where possible. And the, as we said, the time zones, it's just things change and you've packed up your life. You've gone to try and live this experience. And when it starts not working out for you, you get really scared because like, what are my next steps? Um, and if I don't make this work, what happens next? Um, so yeah, it was pretty. It was a pretty crazy experience. I ended up getting a, um, I think I got a bus back almost all of the way, which was cheap but painful as shit. I was gonna say, uh, how long is that journey? Like uh, that was just not a fun time because that we're talking like, I think we're talking from Rome or Milan. No, it was from it was all the way from Milan to London, 
that was just really Jesus. Are you kidding me? Fuck Jesus, Cal. Yeah. How, how um, long was it? Like, how many hours was that? From memory, it might have been, like, 26 or something. Jesus uh, Christ. Yeah, it was a rough time. But by the time I got back, it was very exciting news. I got off the bus and saw that I had an interview with Top Deck, which was really cool. Um, and then that afternoon, one for bus about, and then one for Kentucky. And I was like, oh, your boy, your boy's pulling it together. It's happening. <laughs> um, now so to go and drink. <laughs> exactly. So I went back to the pub that I had been working in and my, um, my, essentially my adopted auntie and uncle who owns the pub nurtured me. They were helping me sew back my suitcase together, find a new laptop charger because mine had broken. Um, they were like, here's some money. Um, go and get yourself some new clothes. We'll cook food for you for a little bit. You can have a job at our friend's pub and live with us. So oh. they were my life saviors. Um, but anyway, ended up having my final round interview for Bus About Kentucky and Top Deck. Um, I thrived in those situations because, as you know, I'm shit at everything else in the world, but being in front of people, creative thinking and talking. So um, telling a narrative about something I was very passionate about, in this case, history, was very exciting. Um, ended up taking the job with Bus About, which is super cool. Um, came back home for three months where I slaved my ass off trying to afford my ancestry visa. Uh, insurance, flights to and from, and then a little bit of money. It was pretty scary knowing I was coming back after the three months at home. I came back with $700 to last me my two months of um, before the training trip and during the training trip. And yeah, and I think I came back with, yeah, in the end, I made $700 stretch out three months, even though they, they covered some of our expenses from the training trip. It was a rough one, but it was pretty cool. And I think um, the understated things about tour guides, which I, which I think is very worth noting out. You guys saw what the research process was like. I think it was like 200,000 words in research. Um, so I ended up guiding across 67 cities and 21 countries. Each of those countries is a 40 minute speech roughly. And then each of those cities is a roughly like a 20 to 30 minute speech. So if you can imagine having to research the history and every, like the, the places, the culture, the language, everything you need to know, Plus, then they send you on an amazing race tour, um, like quiz tour. So you have to be able to answer the questions, um, deliver all of your speeches without any notes, um, about four to six hours sleep a night. It's hectic, but then basically they need to know that if someone's coming overseas and spending anywhere from like two and a half grand to 10 grand on a tour, that you're worth that money, 55 people paying that much money. So crazy, crazy times, but holy shit, that was a fun year. I actually remember like when you were back in Australia for that period studying and I just remembered like seeing your Instagrams at the time and it was just like pages and pages and pages of like notes and facts and you're like just speech writing just speech writing and I'm like what the fuck is he just doing <laughs> yeah I remember when Maddie and I went to that pub that night and you had a, a notebook and like a history uh, I don't know <laughs> and maybe like a lonely planet like textbook yeah. or something like that and you were literally just furiously writing and writing and writing and I was like man he's a man on a mission and if obviously before an assignment was due exact same thing nothing's changed Anna. it was just like oh, i should have started this earlier i was gonna Hi. say I, re I reckon all those times at uni in our group assignments i reckon that just trained you for that moment yeah. <laughs> it's like exactly. Callum realized that lauren wasn't there to carry the group so he had to do the work <laughs> yes. you know what i felt like you were an underutilized source lauren during all of my study to be a tour guide I should have been like, Lauren, can you send me all your notes? No, piss off. <laughs> like the good old days. <laughs> was it going to happen? I was on my own journey. Thank you very much. I didn't have time for your crap. <laughs> I'm living my own life, Cal. Oh, my God. Um, and then sort of diving into the tour guide side of things, because, of course, our whole podcast is about living and working overseas. And you kind of lived and worked technically in how many countries? Like so many. And then including when you flew over to Southeast Asia and did tours over there. So like, how did you find that bouncing a maybe living on the road to like all the different countries that you had to visit? How did you do it? How did you find it? It's pretty hectic. And I think um, for the job, you need to be very high energy and you need to have a little bit of experience in what the fast paced life can be like, just because it is exhausting. Your average day for a tour guide, you wake up around 6am, you got to be at breakfast at seven, but you sort of have to have eaten your breakfast by then because you're checking off things. You're making sure everyone's ready to go. Um, everyone's around, no one's lost. Um, and then you'll typically have two to three stops in a day. So you get on board, you, you count heads and then you do your morning speech. By the time you're, you're getting to your first city, you've got to stop, you've got to do a 30 minute tour. 
then you've got to get everyone off the bus. And then 15 minutes later, you've got to get everyone back on the bus. And then there's probably Sharon in the bathroom who just fell asleep, forgot there was here. Jimmy decided to go and finish up his naughties from Amsterdam because he knows he's not allowed to take them across the border. So you've got to make sure he's not too high going across the border. Then you've got bloody Mary decides last minute to go and grab a drink and hot food to bring in the bus. And you're like, look, I, I get rolling and have a good time, but I'm also just trying to do my job and like... Can you just please? Yeah, you get lots of interesting people, but at the same time, I guess that's what keeps the job in, just, uh, interesting. Watching someone sit there really high and pretend like they're not high is also <laughs> um, But you'll have like, um, yeah, maybe sometimes it can be a 12 to 14 hour drive day, two to three city stops, um, going to two to three countries, keeping in mind that's like a 40 minute speech and a 40 minute speech and a 30 minute speech and a 20 minute speech. All of that, you know, it's plus if you've been out the night before, you're extremely hungover and you're just trying to really pace yourself. Um, we're not allowed to nap on the buses because obviously we've got to make sure that everyone's questions can be answered, everyone's comfortable, nothing goes wrong. So crazy day in the life of a tour guide, but it's not done there. You arrive in, you've got to make sure everyone gets checked in. If you're taking them to a dinner, take them to dinner. If you're taking them to drinks, take them to drinks. If you like your crew, stay out get to bed at like 2 to 3 a.m., wake up three hours later, get into it again. So it's very fast-paced. Um, but I guess the excitement and the drive of it is the people that you're with when you are there to show people countries and cities the way that you see them. It's really exciting. And to show people um, the Colosseum for the first time and, and tell them a story such as that they used to fill that with water and have boat battles in it watching that awe in people's faces sort of just gives you the momentum you need to keep going. And then when you meet people who are just excited to ask for advice and to tell you their stories, you know what it's like when you live in the UK and when you live in Europe, there's no such thing as small talk. Everyone has a genuine interest in what you've been up to. So mm -hmm. the fact that people are just there with excitement and energy and everyone lives in cloud nine, you can't really get sick of it. Um, the only thing that burns you out is just not having a day off every now and then. Um, so I know some tour guides will do the full route of like the 37 cities um, with, without a break. And then those poor things stop and they just, you look at them, their faces on the floor. <laughs> oh my God. And they're like, I love my job. And you're like, oh. okay. Come here, child. <laughs> I will look after you. you Don't go to sleep. Get in there, oh. you dirty drag. Oh God, I can't even imagine. What's like, do you have one like sort of horror story about a certain country or like, do you have, one that sticks out in your mind that you're just like, oh my God, I cannot believe yeah. this happened. Uh, Sorry, so I'm putting you on the spot. I know we hadn't written no, this no, question, no, but no, I'm just... No. <laughs> the, the, the one that comes straight to mind straight away um, was basically, I just had a passenger go missing for four hours um, out of open sea. And it was just a matter of, it was just a miscommunication in details of where she'd been, um, like what time we were leaving, forgetting to check in. Um, poor thing we found her a bit rattled later on but she was also just very content swimming had no idea like, you know what it's like when you're enjoying yourself time flies um, but then but then there's this guy who's just crying a little bit because I found some, some flippers floating in the water and I was like oh oh no it's been three hours and um and and so there's some flippers here but to, to, give, to give some context there was like an island there so maybe we thought she had gone and napped somewhere up there but Ooh, oh my god i like to experience again because right. we had on um, the surrounding boats looking around as well um and no nearby oh and my proper god. search party yeah. but she was okay that was the most important thing and she was like yeah i was just happy having a swim i had no idea what the time was everything's all good so but yeah my, my, my poor little heart couldn't handle it oh my god and at this time when you were like doing the tours like maybe around Europe but did you have a base anywhere like that you were living while you were touring around no so where where kind of we are everything. where our backpacks are is where we live um which is the pretty crazy thing yeah. so just as frequently as the as the people getting on and off the buses will chuck their bag on and take it off relocate that's just like us um so there are designated spots where we can leave additional things if we need to like um in Rome we had a staff accommodation or we could leave a jacket or whatever, same with Berlin. For me though, um, I'd kept some stuff in the pub that I'd lived in in London, um, expecting I'd go back two and a half years on, whoops, um, <laughs> trying to get back there still. 
Um, but that's about the extent. It was just, again, I knew I'd be overpacking. So I'm like, I'll leave this stuff here for later on in the year. And that all stuff's still waiting for me. Do you have one essential thing that you say that everyone should pack when they travel? Yeah, it, it, for me, it was always, I'm such a comfort food person. And everyone would always laugh at me because I had a little uh, snacks compartment in my suitcase. Um, so inside there was Milo, peanut butter, yes, yes. sauce, and then Vegemite. So anyone who's never tried it before can try a massive teaspoon of it. <laughs> it. Evil, evil, evil. I love like it. Like that little bit of home that you just need to carry around with you. I know. It's, it's yeah, they, they were the most essential things, I think. Barbecue sauce and proper peanut butter were the two things I couldn't get by without. Yeah. Oh my god. No, that's great advice. Snack, snack pocket. Mm-hmm. I I, I love brown that. Brown isn't a flavor. No, I know. I have this argument with my boyfriend all the time. I'm like, brown sauce is barbecue sauce, and he doesn't believe me. So I think I'm going to have to bring back some barbecue sauce next time. And I'm in Oz. Vinegary, vinegary barbecue sauce. I'd say it is very yeah. vinegary. Yeah, I was going to say I was like, it's, it's a little bit uh, tangy. it's a bit different. Yeah, 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 but very, very weird. happening this was very early days this was like six months into my travels so Mm. at that stage i think is probably the critical time in terms of your make it or break it overseas sort of situation where you've got your your strongest feelings of homesickness at the time and i remember when i moved over it was i kept on having this recurring dream of going back because i think it was a week after my 21st birthday was when i flew overseas um and i kept on having the same recurring dream I'd fly back and I was there for my 21st birthday again. I'd see all the speeches. I would hug my family and then I'd look at them and be like, you know what? I just needed to check you're okay. I don't know why I'm back in Australia. Now I know you're fine. And I'll just sit in there frustrating. And I'm like, oh, and I'd wake up and I'm like, man, it was so good to see my family. God, I'm homesick and hungover today. And that was the recurring first six months of my travels. Um, always hungover and always homesick. But I guess that's like that for anyone. Yeah. Um, so I think I it that. was... It came at a time that I needed it too. I was genuinely like, a, whoa, I've had this crazy, amazing time, but I need to make sure everyone's okay and I need a sense of normality. I just need a hug for a month. And it's, it's just the small things you need. Um, but you know what the best thing about that was after I'd gone home and I had that, I went back overseas and I was like, man, I am where I belong. I feel good. I know everyone's okay. I know that I can make this work. And it was good to have that slice of home. But it was also good to have that reminder of, I was, it's good to know that that home's there when I need it. And it's so easy to get to at the end of the day, post COVID, pre COVID. Yeah. Um, but it, it, once you realize how easy it is to go back and see everyone, aside from the cost, you really hit the peak of your travels. And I, I did an extra two and a half years after that before I ended up having to court quits, uh, not due to my own accord, but two days notice to get back due to COVID. Um, good yeah, old friend, COVID. <laughs> good, good old friend. Pal. Yeah, it's so interesting that you say that because, like, I. As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right. Over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs. Also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about wigs. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. I've not been back since I moved here and Lauren has. And I think like, I'm like, obviously with COVID, it's been super, super tough, but it, I'm just earning for that sort of grounding, groundedness. And it's funny that you say that because it's like, I just want to put my feet back on Australian soil and just be like, yeah. take a breath and be like, I'm safe here. This is home. Yeah. This is what I'm familiar with. And, um, and I know Lauren mentioned after she went back for the first time, it's like you get back and you realize Brisbane hasn't changed and that yeah. you, you end up missing London for most people anyway. You're yeah. like, oh, I actually miss home, which yeah. is now London or wherever you're 
wherever you call home outside of your home country. But yeah, so I'm, uh, when I, when I get a chance to go back, I'm definitely going to be like, probably feel exactly the same way and want to come back (laughs) after, after seeing family. It's definitely the key thing of like, you just want to be able to hug them and like see them and spend like some time with them. But then like after like a couple of weeks, you were just kind of like, okay, let's get back into like this. Yeah. And I think it's, it's something that's hard to describe to people as well, but you, I think you hit the nail on the head when you said you realize it's the same. Like um, I found it was same people, same story, different night. Um, and that's not a bad thing. It's just, we live in a very different pace life when we go overseas. No two days are the same. You're in this country, you're in that country, you meet this person, you do that. Um, you have an awesome day, you have a shit day, but you never have the consistency of the same friends because people are coming and going. Um, and then like, you, you have all these risks. You're essentially trying to grow as an adult in a place where you don't know anything, anyone. And it's just like when you leave uni over here and you move out for the first time, you want to you at least know the suburbs you can go to. Um, you have some contacts so you can find a nice job. Uh, you, 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 you made your roots in Brisbane or wherever you're from and it's easier to set yourself up. But when you go overseas and you know no one, you don't know where you are, you don't know anything, you, it's really hard. And I think you end up having that thing to bond with, with, with everyone you meet. Everyone wants to have this conversation. Everyone's on cloud nine. You bond over the fact that it's real hard yakka to make it work, but you do it. Um, and then you come back home and, and you hear people are starting to get married and people are having kids and people still at the same job. And that's not a bad thing. That's just as equally exciting. But coming from a place where we're on cloud nine and we're bonding over this thing and everyone says to you, how was your holiday? And you're like, yeah. oh, you mean the last three years of my life? Good, thanks. Um, and they're like, that's about, about you. Let me tell you about how I'm still working for McDonald's. And you're like, no, it's not a bad thing you still work for McDonald's. It was just how easily you brushed off this crazy part of my life and how you want to tell me the story that you literally told me last time I saw you. <laughs> That's like, so interesting like, that you say that I because we had, yeah, 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 like Lauren's brother, um, we interviewed him in our third podcast, uh, third episode, and he said the exact same thing. Yeah. He was like, and he's always said go, that to me. And you, and you go and they ask you, how was it? And you're like, good. And they go, okay, cool. And then they move on and they don't care um, because they don't experience it. They don't know. Like they can't comprehend it. Yeah. And it's not relatable for them. They weren't there, so yeah. they don't know what it's like. But at the exactly. same time, you are just as excited to hear everyone's stories. But when they don't have anything to relate to your stories about, they end up mm-hmm. dropping off questions to you and they're sick of hearing about it because they're like, we get it. You went to Europe. And you're like, yeah, you lived in London. <laughs> I had a really good time and I'd really like to share my stories with you, but I just wish you had more of an interest every now and then. Um, yeah. And they're like, you get it. Sure. You got drunk and you went somewhere. And it's like, Yes, and I worked really hard to get this. If you appreciate it, please. <laughs> Let me have my time. And I think like, you don't know the full context of it, all right? Like, I'm the star. I'm the star. I know. And Let I think that's my why. moment. <laughs> Let me be the main character of this story. <laughs> <laughs> and I think that's why like expats share such a community because like even if you were to move back to Brisbane, like look at us now, Cal, like talking about this and completely sharing stories and relating to one another. And like yeah, exactly. you build a community and that's sort of what our aim is for this podcast is to sort of build community, not only for people living overseas, but also for people who've moved home or want to move overseas. So yeah, I love it. I love it. And then I guess, you know, how have you found the transition of actually moving back? Because you were obviously in Southeast Asia, tour guiding, and then in two days notice because of COVID, everything changed and you dropped everything and you had to get back home. How was that for you? And how was that transition? Pretty crazy experience and not the easiest one. And I think anyone telling you that they're coming back and they're having a good time is probably probably sort of blowing that out a little bit. No one has an easy time coming back. And that's for every reason I just mentioned. Then you come from a place where everyone's living on cloud nine at the time. Um, everyone you meet is so excited, so much enthusiasm. And if they're not, you at least know exactly what they're going through. And you can sit there and you can get drunk with them and cry a little bit about their story, even though it's not yours. You know what it's like and you know how shit it can be. Coming back, there's so many beautiful moments. Like it's getting to spend time with your family, getting to go to your local pubs and getting to hang with your mates, not having to have that small talk at the start, getting to know someone of like the, like, you know, your top 10 
questions and answers you, you have when you meet someone new, which is like 20 people a day. Not that it's a bad thing, but it just gets repetitive. So to sit down with your mates and just have genuine long-winded conversation that's just so seamless and it's so interesting. I that's miss that. Amazing yeah. Getting in your own bed. I think um, some of the key things for me were taking my clothes out of my little compartments, putting it in my drawers, <laughs> putting my suitcase away and being like, oh my God. Who am I? I've got folded clothes. Like, and <laughs> oh my I'm God. I can make my own food. I can eat what I want, when I want. Yeah. Um, oh God, those things are just incredible. Um, it's the small things in life that you just love and you miss. Um, but just the feeling of having your own space. But I think mm. the top one for me was getting a car, turning my music on full, putting the windows down and driving down a highway or just driving through the mountains. I, I miss it this. so much. I, I miss, miss driving. driving. Honestly. <laughs> overseas, you start to realise it's the small moments. Like when you're on the tube for that long and you've just got your headphones in, you can't really sing or dance or anything. You're like, you know what? Whenever I'm in peak hour traffic, oh no, 10 minutes of sitting in my own space, listening to my favourite tune, singing, ah, oh, shit, this sucks. Oh, I hate this. Like, just you appreciate it. I literally yeah. have moments, especially because like all we can really do is go for walks at the moment. I literally, like, sometimes when I'm on my walk, and I'm like blast, like blasting a song on my earphones. I'm just like so tempted to just sing it out loud, but then I'm like, no, don't be a weirdo, Laura. Don't be a weirdo. Oh my so god! I'm so tempted to just be like, yeah. I'm like, this happened to me yesterday. This actually happened to me yesterday. How sad is this? So I went for a walk in Hyde Park yesterday, and there was a protest happening. So there was lots of helicopters around the park. Um, and because of the loud sound of the helicopters, I was just singing at the top of my lungs and no one could hear me because of the helicopters going around. It was honestly so sad, but so satisfying. <laughs> so relatable too, because I guess if I'd get on the tube, particularly late night or early morning, I'd sort of look around. If there's no one on the tube, then I'd start singing a little bit louder. <laughs> yeah. I got to a stop or the moment I hit the doors open, I'm back. Yeah. <laughs> back to like the soulless life yeah. yeah I literally have done that before like like on my walk and like I've gone like there's no one down the street or coming like coming towards me and I'll just be like and then I'll yeah. just be like yeah that's really weird <laughs> like, or you can just pretend doing? to be like recording a voice note and you're like yeah. <laughs> really good to see you thank you goodbye <laughs> oh these are the things that you have to do in like this yeah, exactly. amazing but soulless city um, but I, yeah. I do think like, I, I think it was a good point. Like when you say that ease of friendship, because I think that's also why like Anna and I, when we did see each other here, that's why we like connected so quickly. Cause it was kind of like, oh my God, someone that like from back home that just, I already know, I don't have to go, go through these like 20 questions. It's just that like yeah. seamlessness of like friends that you do and miss. It's such a nice thing to be able to it's do that so again, nice. um, to have mm. your people back. And I think, mm. um, if you're someone who has been on the road for quite some time, it's really hard in terms of finding a sense of belonging and consistency because if you don't have a permanent spot set up in London and you meet temporary friends all the time, that they're exactly that. They're, they're temporary friends and they're not there to listen to all the life struggles you have unless you're super drunk and they're giving you advice mm. and you're just like, here's my everything. Um, but then back at home, you sort of fall out of touch with everyone a bit. So it's a, it becomes a difficult position in terms of who do I call if I just need a rant about something. Yeah. Um, so to be able to have that again back in your life is such a nice thing to have consistent people you can be there for, but they can be there for you equally as well. Um, but like having said all those nice things, I think that's the, it is nice to address those things. But as I said, it's a really shit time moving home full stop. And I think that's not addressed really is coming home and reintegrating yourself is really, really difficult for many reasons. First of all, most of the time people come home and you're moving back into home. Mums or dads are a good friend because you just need to save, you need some normality. And that's cool. And it's really nice to have that confidence start. But then you're also like, wow, this is weird. I've had amazing freedom over the last few years and I'm back under in like a controlled environment. This is strange. And then your friendship group starts to change for the better, mostly, but it's just a weird transition period where people who were there for you beforehand um, might have just taken a slightly different path and they might find it a little bit more difficult to, to catch up with you. And it's not that they don't want to. Sometimes they just don't have time, but because you also haven't been there for years, they've just got a lot of other priorities. And so it just feels really shitty to be at the bottom of people's priority list. And it's not that they need to, it's just how it is and it's just how life goes. So 
the change in friendship groups was crazy. I think there was also like a change in alignment of values. I know I went out with some friends at one stage. I had another friend come along and they said, hey, can you not invite that person next time or anyone else? And I was like, oh, okay, well, if that's how you want to do it, feel free not to invite me next time too because that's how I've made all my friends for the last few years and I, I low-key find that incredibly rude. Um, that's so rude. It's like so that close a, circle that they don't want to accept. Yeah. And you know what it's like when you're overseas, the only way you can make friends is by being bold and walking over and, and trying to start a conversation about literally anything. You'll hear an Australian accent, you'll walk up to someone and be like, where are you from? And they're like, Brisbane. And you're like, oh my God, can I please sit with you? And they're yeah, like, oh, that's so true, yeah. And so you bond over that. And then there's just a lot of other things. There's this, like, there's the post-travel depression where you're like, I could have been doing this. I should have been doing this. The energy that people have. And as I mentioned before, everyone's on cloud nine when you're in season. You come home and you hit with the tough reality of, oh shit, life can't be that forever. And I think that was something I forgot to mention before as well, is that, at some stage, we do all have to bring a sense of normality back. It might be in 10, 20 years for some people, but at some stage you will want to try and find a job that actually pays well or a partner or a house. Um, and I think having all those pressures hit at once was pretty scary, but also because I just had no notice that I was coming back, I felt like I was robbed of the opportunity to come to peace with the time that uh, with, with the fact that my journey was ending um, and to go and do the final few things that I wanted to. I mean, I spent the, the last 12 months of that travel conducting tours for other people and I had an amazing time, but I didn't always get to do the things I wanted to as well. There was a whole bunch more travel, so many things I wanted to do. Um, and so I think coming back and then sort of being confined to one city, um, not being able to see people, not being able to go out on yeah. adventures, not having money to do anything, um, it was incredibly depressing to go from this crazy full on lifestyle to just sitting still. Um, so there was that, and it took me seven months to find a job, 64 job applications later. I know I'm not alone here. I know so many people have gone through that yeah. this year, but that was also a pretty tough hit from reality knowing that the travel industry had died off. And I know again, Anna, you're very familiar with this one. When you put your, your life, your heart into something that's so energetic, so incredible, they take that industry away from you. You've got to start being a baby in a new industry. Yeah. So starting from the bottom up is a pretty crazy time. It's exciting because it's, you get to have a new skill set and you get to prove yourself once again. But to have everything you've been working towards taken away mm -hmm. from you is a pretty shit feeling. So oh, the worst. A, lot of, a lot of time um, spent frustrated, but a lot of goods come from it too. And as I said from before, um, not having that sense of belonging for such a long time, being forced to be in one place and to slow down and to take things in has been a very unique and interesting journey for me. Like, um, I think the biggest thing to come out of last year was me coming to terms of my own sexuality being bisexual and I've been seeing my boyfriend for six months now. Um, so that's like, that's a big thing for me. And then also, um, taking the time to spend more time with my friends and family and then to focus on my health and fitness and nutrition, like mm. all of this sort of stuff, all the things that maybe I didn't think were so important have become the most important things to me now. And I've taken the time to work through them and to acknowledge them and to work with them. So I think at the same time, like slowing down has been the best thing that could have happened to me. Yeah. yeah. It's kind I mean, of like that welcome, welcome settle, like that welcome time to just settle a bit after such a crazy yeah, journey sure. that you've had. Yeah. And I also feel like, you know, this pandemic, I always try and see things glass half full. And in a lot of ways, even though I have been living overseas, Callum, I feel the same way. Like I must yeah. feel like this had to happen. I had to slow down in my life to really like evaluate what was important to me. And I'm sure that obviously you feel the same way. Yeah, and I've actually come out of this year a totally different person. I mean, you've seen me yeah. like, where's party girl Anna? Well, fuck her. Yeah. She's gone. She was not, <laughs> she, gone. She, was, she was not healthy. Like it was not good. And I was just going down the wrong track. And I've literally come out happier than I've ever, ever been. Mm. Like I literally live with a partner now. Like I'm settling down. I don't, Who's this now? who is she? Do you know what I mean? But I literally, I'm so happy. Like it's, it's exactly where I want to be. Um, yeah. It's great to hear. So and I think that the pace of London is you feel like you feel the need to keep up with the party. But I think the most important thing that most people have taken um, is the, is the time to stop and slow down. What do you think, yeah. Lauren? Have you, have you, yeah. For sure. and and yeah, yeah, for sure. Like it's been a, it's been a weird one because I've been working obviously throughout the whole thing and I've been lucky enough to have like kept my job and still have that consistency going, but it's changed like 
what how I saw like my year last year and what I wanted to achieve in my job like completely transformed so the London that I wanted to experience just shifted but what I feel like it did like what it's done is like light this fire under my ass and bit just being like just stop like (laughs) questioning things or just like stop like hesitating and just like just say yes like just do it like because I think as well like I had been here since mid 2018 and I was always kind of like oh I'll have time for that like I'll get to that I'll do that when I'm like want to do it but I feel like now it's just been I am more I feel like I'm more energized to just be like let's go let's go do it like you know you'd never know when it's going to be taken away from you so you might as well just go for it so I feel like it's almost lit a fire under my ass but I have appreciated this time for like London a bit like slowing down a bit What would be your most noticeable cultural differences that you found in your travels in London? What are the funny things that you found that you that might frustrate you, or actually maybe you think, oh, this is a way better way of doing it? I think what I love so much about being over in the UK is just the many varied cultures and languages and food, and I feel like it's the acceptance of that. Not that we're not that in Australia, it's just it's much more widely seen and appreciated over there. Like the lack of any sense of racism over there when I was there was pretty incredible. Everyone embraced everyone, everyone wants to be so inclusive of all these elements of all cultures, which is so incredible. And I think it speaks for itself where London, there's not many other cities in it in the world where you can find world-class kebabs next to world-class pizza stores next to world-class pubs. That is so incredible in itself. But I think one really funny thing I find in terms of Australians moving over there and vice versa, coming back home, you look around and you're like, holy shit, there's so many Bogans in our country. Everyone you listen to is just like shazzed in the truck stop being like, got a tracker's tucker for Dazza. And it's like, oh, oh, that's interesting. So that was something interesting, but vice versa going over. Um, People, how they look and what their accent isn't going to be is so unique. I remember the first time I saw a man who I who did did serve and did speak to, and he was of Indian culture and background, but he had the strongest Scottish accents that I'd ever heard. And I was like, "Yeah, that really fucked with me." And he's like, "Yeah, I get that a lot." Um, and he was laughing, and we we're discussing how like he was um, his parents were from there, but he was born there, and um it was just that was something that blew my mind and every time I was every time that happened I was like man this is a cool place there's so many unique cultures and languages but then the other thing is that I found really funny is when Australians try and adapt to that you'll have you when someone two months in will then start doing that you're right yeah you know what and there's, yeah. there's <laughs> <when> <laughs> I do not no, I don't. It's not my fault that I live with an English person and that I, I literally don't really spend that much time with Australians in lockdown. So There's the difference, though, of, Anna, you've been dating someone from England and you're living there and you've been there for a while versus someone who's been there for two months and they're like, exactly. I don't mean this is literally how I talk. <laughs> and it's like, why do you want so badly not to be Australian? I think it's pretty cool to be owning your cultural heritage and your language and your accent in another country. Did you ever sometimes like with it when an English person speaks to you, like, do you ever sometimes just like become a little bit more Australian because you're like, like, you know, weird way you're trying to like, you're just trying to prove that you are definitely Australian. So you're almost just like, yeah, yeah. yeah, Like totally got it. Yeah, mate. Yeah. 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 yeah, Oh, crikey, mate. Yeah. 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 Well, fucking didgeridoo. You know what? <laughs> Legit. I, I honestly, being Australian, I this is the perfect way I describe it. When you live in the UK or wherever you are, being Australian is part of your personality. Full stop. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, is yeah. your personality? Parts of you. They're like, oh, the Aussie girl from that department. Exactly. Do you have like one word that people would make fun of you for? Uh, I think the one that people would always sort of laugh at would be the way we say no. Apparently we're very mm. nasally with that. They'd always be like, Australians are always no. like, no. No. Yeah, no. no. <laughs> the French are like, nope. <laughs> yeah, that's so much nicer. like, no, straight through the nostrils. It's awful, isn't it? It's awful. No, that's a good one. And it's interesting what you say about things like racism and inclusion, like in, a, in, a, in Australia versus here, it's 
like the passion that people have here for inclusion is insane. Like I feel very strongly at the moment about like uh, gender equality and obviously what happened with Sarah Everard and all that stuff. And like the vibe here is like, yes, we stand with you. And same with, you know, all the Black Lives Matter um, stuff that happened, all of that. And uh, it's just interesting to see Australia in a different light um, like that now, because I think it is such a closed off country. It's just so easy to, for a lot of people just to turn turn away and and just yeah. not know like they just don't know do you know what yeah. i mean i think as well it's easy it's always easy to, like i think people think australia as being really multicultural and it is like there is a lot of cultures and we're very multicultural but we're also very white led so yeah. we're not a very like it's yeah it's a, and you don't really you don't realize it that much until you get you do come over here a bit and you just see how diverse I think maybe we are probably talking really specifically about London and like the close proximity to Europe because when you do go like outside of London, it is like British. London is, uh, (laughs) London is its own country. I always say Yeah, let's be (laughs) like, I swear the last election, I was like, Labor's going to win 100%. There's just no way. And then it was such a landslide of a Tory win because like in London, it's just, everybody's on the same, same page and it's just so different. But yeah, and I think the difference is it's like not Australia's not it's not that we're not inclusive and it's not that like we're a yeah. racist country, but it's just the fact that in my friendship group I didn't have a Kiwi friend or a British friend or an American friend, yeah. and over in London, like at the, at the start, all I met was Aussies, but then eventually I looked to our friendship groups and I had Romanians and French and Germans yeah. and Irish and and people from everywhere. And it's just so inclusive, and that's more so the aspect I mean. It's just it's so diverse in every single aspect of life that it just makes it so exciting and so interesting. Exactly, mm. exactly, and. Okay, just off the whim here, because last week we did an episode about um, our cultural difference of the week was things in our overseas home that don't make sense. Was there one thing that you were just like, what the hell, in England or even in uh, wherever else in the world that you were just like, no, what is this? The dumb showers. The dumb, <laughs> dumb showers. What is up with that little box that you turn on or like having to step in the bath and like, just why? That Why? I'm such a passionate shower person. And when I get in and I see that bullshit happening in the bathroom, not into it. Just give me a reg shower. I know. I those absolutely boxes hate are those weird. boxes. They're so, when I see a house with those boxes, I'm like, what even is this? And the water pressure is always so shit from those boxes. Yeah, and the temperature's <laughs> never just right. You can never exactly. get just right. Ever. I cannot wait to have a shower in a walk-in shower with no bathtub. Oh mm, my god! That's cannot me. wait. That's dreams, Annabud. Dreams, dreams. <laughs> what would be like one piece of advice that you would give someone about moving overseas? I mentioned the winter stuff before, but I reckon I'll go for another one here. And it's something that I really wish that I had a thought about more before I moved overseas. And that was just taking the pressure off of myself to achieve such amazing things while I was over there. I went over there thinking I wanted to make an amazing career for myself and I wanted to keep developing my CV. And the entire time I was just thinking, how is this going to benefit me in terms of the work sense? That's not what I should have been doing. I should have gone over and said, this is a once in a lifetime opportunity where I've got a two year gap to go and do whatever I want, meet whoever I want, be whoever I want. And the entire time I sat there thinking, how is this going to benefit me for work? I've got the rest of my life to worry about that until, until I retire. But I wish that I just didn't have that extra pressure on myself. And I know a few people mentioned it, but to really stop and think about what those two years mean and what they could be, I wish that I'd have done that better. I think I, I need to take your that. advice. Yeah, say. But I completely, I completely get that because there have been so many times in the last like nearly three years that I've been here. But there have been so many times where you almost feel like, am I letting someone down for like, because you're, you're hyping up this like vision of what your experience should be in a way that you feel like you're like letting someone down if it's not going to plan yeah in like a weird way and like I feel like I've always had like I remember probably more early on than now now I'm in a better place but like I remember early on I was just kind of like you know am I getting the most out of this like is am I like everyone thinks I'm going to be doing this amazing thing or it's this amazing journey but like is it really that and you're kind of like questioning a lot of it and then you're like okay like what am I doing here like this is really yeah yeah and 100% gets like that and I think on the back of that it's a really important note to mention 
is it's okay not to be okay when you're overseas as well in terms of your own mental health. Um, And I know that affects so many people. And again, it's something it's not widely spoken about, but I think it wasn't until I got home that I realized I had a real issue with anxiety. And I had that a lot while I was traveling. And to have had a more like a better understanding and lens over that when I was over there and realized when I wasn't doing well, just to be able to call up someone up and be like, hey, I just need five minutes of your time for a pep talk or to to offload. And I think a lot of people it can be easily overviewed by people back at home being like, Are you having the time of your life? Get over it. Or it can be overviewed by person there being like, Oh, you know what? Like, I'll get over it because like again it should like it's not that big of a deal but Mm. to to put that focus on it and be like you know what I don't feel okay today it is shit but today is just a bad day or I just need to talk to someone and I think being aware of that and having like a a mate that you can call or something set up I think that's a really important thing to do as well it's so true because like there are so many times that like I've had friends like say to me oh, you're living like, you're living the dream. You're living this amazing life. And I was like, yeah, but like, I do feel lonely and I do get these, you know, these emotions and these feelings. And they're just like, yeah, but like, you're in London. And they always say that, they're like, but you're in London. I'm like, no, like, this doesn't mean I don't feel Like you see the white brick houses and we see, you know, Tooting Broadway or like down, (laughs) you know, with the, you know, stuff everywhere. But yeah, I saw a big city alone. Like, I'm, you know, I do have emotions. I'm not just like living in this fantasy world. Like... (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I'm just li- I'm living a life like you are, but I'm just so yeah, far just from in a different city. Exactly. I think you just forget that we do this day in and day out. And like, mm. similar to you, Callum, like I have had anxiety for t- like 10 years now. And obviously with the, the pandemic that's happened and not being able to control the situation and having to sit in a, in a tiny London flat for a year now, a year th- tomorrow, um, it's, you know, it, it's been really hard. And if it weren't for people like Lauren or for some of the other girls that we're really good friends with in the community that we've built, I would have struggled because although Charlie, you know, he's obviously my partner, but he doesn't get it the way that we get it. And yeah. that's one of the reasons why we started this because it's not spoken about. I don't know why, like mm. we looked and looked and looked, but it's just not spoken about. And, um, and yeah, I think that's really important to mention is that yeah, you're so right. It's okay not to be okay. And you're going to have really fucking hard days. Moving overseas on your own is really hard. It's amazing, but mm. it's difficult. Yeah. And there are people there to support you 1000%. Sure. Like it's us. one of the greatest things to come out of this pandemic as well as at the start, everyone would look at each other and be like, I'm having a rough day. And everyone would be like, you know what? It'll be okay soon. But then they reached a point where there was the one first brave friend to say, you know what? It's not it's not going to get better soon and I'm not doing okay. And then other yeah. friends would be like, you're right, me too. And I feel shit too. And I'd like to talk about it with you. And I think it's after that first brave friend says it that everyone else realizes, you know what? It's okay not to be okay. We can talk through this and we're allowed to feel pissed off or upset or scared. Um, so I think at least that's come out of this. People are like, you know what? We can put a focus on this and we can talk about it. So sure. yeah, I think that's a really important point to take overseas with you is just realizing that you will have everyday struggles like everyone else. Um, and as if you, people and your friends and your family can understand that too, then you're setting yourself up for success much better. All right. So we have our last question. Our this is our favorite question. one. It's our favorite. favorite. La- Lauren, favorite. take it away. All right. Callum Ryan. <laughs> if your hometown, Brisbane, Queensland, Australia, was a food, what would it be? Could be a meal or a meal. I'm going to say that Brisbane is a bit of a blank pizza base in the fact that it can be whatever you want to make of it. Okay. I think that when I left, I didn't know how I felt about Brisbane. I thought it was a great place because it was was my hometown, but it wasn't anything amazing in in terms of it's not a tourist destination. It's a livable place. Um, and when I came back, there was more and more toppings added to it. Like you had Howard Smith Wharves was put there. We had more cafes booming. We updated Melbourne for cafes per capita. We just things were being added on top. And all of a sudden you're having this lovely little assortment of toppings in the pizza. And it was becoming the place that I desired when I found the things that I needed from it. So I think it can be the pizza base and the pizza that anyone needs when they're looking for the right things. 
I oh love my god, that. I love, love that. <laughs> so great. It's so, see, this it is like our yeah. favorite question ever. It's just like maybe you we never need to get more guests on. Gonna say, I know we need to get more guests on that aren't from Brisbane because <laughs> so far yeah. it's been a hundred percent Brisbane. Right, it's just Brisbane, and everyone's talking about pizzas. God damn it. What's happening? What is happening? Uh, well, that was so good. Thank you so much, so Cal. Um, Thank you. Really, really insightful. And I think a lot of people will find all everything you've spoken about super, super useful. So thank you so, so much for taking the yeah, thank time you. to speak to us. Thank you. I've had a very fun time talking to you both. And yeah, I think I hope that this helps people to some extent. Going overseas is the greatest thing. I think there's just a lot of open communication needs to be had in terms of setting yourself up while you're doing it and then just planning it out. But um, I think you both are doing an awesome job in terms of starting that conversation. So wish you all the best for the podcast and I shall continue listening. Well, that is it for this week's episode. Thank you so much to Cal for coming on and speaking to us. I hope everybody enjoyed it. Mm. I hope everyone got something out of it. Great chats. That's for sure. Mad bands. So as always, if you like what we speak about and you like what Callum said, please give us a follow and join our community uh, on Instagram at don't mock my accent. And we will see you next week. See you next week. Bye. Bye. Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the acclaimed movie, All of Us Strangers, starring Paul Mescal and Andrew Scott. Stream the new Hulu original limited series, We Were the Lucky Ones, with Joey King and Logan Lerman. And don't forget about Grey's Anatomy. Every Grey's episode ever is now streaming on Hulu. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu.